0: The thing about Kink, Kink went on the radio in 1968 in December, and I think that was a little bit of the inspiration for Don McLeod to even
1: start the store. From the studios of Kink Radio, it's the Portland 50, a podcast series about the people who dreamt, built, and championed the innovation, growth, and uniqueness of Portland. The Portland 50 series is brought to you by Jaguar Land Rover Portland, one company, two iconic brands. Jaguar Land Rover Portland is a Don Rasmussen company, the legendary Portland institution serving our community since 1950. I'm your host, Peggy Lapointe. Today I continue my conversation with Terry Courier, owner of Music Millennium, an independent record store founded in 1969. It might be the oldest continually existing record store in the Pacific Northwest. And it and Terry are Portland icons. If you missed the first part of our conversation, you can find it at our website, kink.fm. So now there's just the one in, on the east side, East Burnside, because the Northwest store closed in 2007. And you had the classical millennium, and now it's all music millennium.
0: We had a situation where we needed to make some changes in the store. We had a couple of bookkeepers that caused us much grief. One ended up in prison for five years, uh, but financially, it really put a strain on the company. I needed to make some changes, and I really took a hard look at the store and what could be done to make it better. To make it more efficient, to be able to continue to do business in the future. Besides digging into every corner I could to borrow money to make it work, one day I decided that the classical millennium had to go, and we used that space for vinyl. Classical business, we loved it. At one point in time, you know, it was as much as 25 percent of the business in that building but the classical consumer had got older much of it had passed away and the business was really dwindling it was, I won't say it was wasted space but it was quickly becoming a museum more so than a retail space. I had to use that space better which was a great move for us because as soon as we put the vinyl down in that room our customers were thanking us over and over and over at the same moment though we had a lot of classical customers in town thinking that we had just destroyed the arts Mm -hmm. entirely Mm -hmm. so you know it was a period of transition we still have classical music in our store but we have the right amount of classical music in our store. And even though the section is smaller, you can only probably find a couple of dozen classical sections in the whole United States that are of this size.
1: Mm -hmm. It still has depth. So in addition to Music Millennium, you've got the record label Burnside Records and that's been going for a while. I actually
0: departed with Burnside Records. Burnside Records was an interesting thing. In the late 80's, John Coons from the band Johnny and the Distractions, he was a regular customer in the store, and me and Don McLeod asked him if they were ever going to put his Johnny and the Distractions album, Let It Rock, out on CD. So he looked into it. He went and talked to a Records, and they said they didn't have any immediate interest in doing so. So we decided to take Johnny into the studio and re-record the songs, and add a couple of new songs and put the album out. I thought that's the way it was going to be. My, <laughs> my partner, Don, he had great aspirations. He goes, oh, this sounds so good. We need to work it at radio across the United States. The next thing I know, in every moment of free time I had, I was calling secondary market radio stations around the United States, trying to get airplay for this record, sending out promotional copies, spending money When it was all said and done, most of our sales were in the Northwest Mm -hmm. and we had accumulated a little bit of debt. I turned to Don and I go, what are we going to do next? And he didn't say anything. And I go, well, I guess we're going to have to make more records to make up for the debt. Over the next 15, 16 years, I ended up putting out like 60 recordings on the Burnside label and a secondary label called Sideburn Records. It kind of took a focus of the blues for a long time in there, and that's why I started the Sideburn label, so I could do other things, because it was getting quite a good reputation across the United States Mm -hmm. as a national blues label. We had some Northwest artists that really helped us a lot in in the beginning with some of their recordings we put out, like Kelly Joe Phelps, Which became one of our more successful artists. Duffy Bishop Band, Terry Robb, Lloyd Jones. These records were starting to get recognition outside of the area. And one thing, you know, for me and Music Millennium has been we've always wanted to help the local artists in in the marketplace. And that's kind of how this label evolved as we went along. Also out of that, I started a distribution company called Burnside Distribution. And the reason we used the same name was we were in the same building and we could have one receptionist (laughs) and they could just answer the phone, Burnside. (laughs) So it made it pretty easy. And the distribution company is still going. In the beginning, we did it strictly to try to help Northwest artists get their product around Washington, Oregon, Idaho, and Northern California. And it grew to a point where we were doing distribution of product all across the United States and even into some other countries outside of the the United
1: States. I keep thinking back to when I think of Music Millennium, um, my first introduction was in Northwest because I moved to Northwest when I first came to town. And I would spend a lot of time Going through, at that time it was CDs, going through the CDs and looking at stuff and seeing live shows there. And that's why I asked you about the 89 when those concerts happened. But you did those live shows in Northwest just at various times. And I can't remember who I saw there, but I remember, might have been Satan's Pilgrims. Yes, might they did play there. Yes. Um,
0: the great thing about the Northwest Store is the Northwest Store was originally on the same block as Cinema 21 in 1977 when we opened that store over there. And it moved down the block to 21st and Johnson and then in 1989 it moved up to the corner of 23rd and Johnson just in the very front part. There was about 2400 square feet at that time. And in 1995 when our lease was up, we had really outgrown our space and there wasn't any more space in the front of the store uh, to move in, so we were going to have to make some kind of move. And the landlord there had just acquired a building behind the building. Many people think that building's all just one building, but he got the building behind it. We gutted the whole thing out. What I told him is we could keep the same entryway and build this 25-foot, Hallway back to the next building and we could take the whole building in the back And that's what we did. We turned it into a a space that kind of looked like a 1930s movie theater. There was a lot of red velvet curtains on the wall It just had this really unique architectural look to it inside We didn't try to copy the Burnside store
1: Mm -mm, in any way
0: But the main focus was to set up the store in a way that it would be ideal for a live music listening experience. So we had the stage at one end, and we put retro furniture up by the stage. So for the smaller in-store performances of, say, 30 or 40 people, everyone could sit down on the couch and just have this intimate, like it was in your front living room, live experience. But at the same time, you could get hundreds and hundreds of people in the store in between the bins. And it was also set up that no matter where you were standing in the store, you were in visual distance of seeing what was going on on the stage. That would pull people into the stage. When we started doing the live music over there and moving it from the Burnside store, we went from doing about 150 live performances a year to doing about 300 a year. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't out of the ordinary on a Saturday to have a live performance at one o'clock, three o'clock, and then one at five. And we really supported the local artists. So it became this great little show Case area for a lot of local artists to play. But at the same time, between the two stores, I pinch myself sometimes going, this really happening in our store? We've done Randy Newman's only live performance in a record store. Joe Strummer from The Clash's only performance in a record store. Keith Emerson from Emerson Lake and Palmer came and played an acoustic piano and played Boogie Woogie music and read from his book we've had Patty Smith in there Steve Earle has flown into town five times from New York just to play the store yeah. on the week of release of his <clears throat> records
1: he was just in town not too long ago and he came just to play for you yeah I mean you're you're beloved and and I'm I'm not saying this to to curry favor you're beloved by musicians because you're a music lover and they recognize that in you
0: well, one of the things when we do the live music thing is to really put the musicians in a comfortable atmosphere and make it make it in a unique experience for them as much as it is for the people that come down mm-hmm. and get the opportunity to see it.
1: And at the Northwest location, I remember Kink had a listening station where you could listen to Kink music there. And I as you were talking about that stage, I remember the couches, I remember all of it, and I, am I wrong, didn't Kink do a couple of things on stage with performers as well?
0: Yes, yeah. we, we, we had a number of live performances where it was Music Millennium and Kink Radio yes, presents kind of situation. I mean, there's been a lot of synergy between Music Millennium and Kink over the years. I can remember when I was at Musical Millennium in 84, at that particular time, Les Sarnoff was working at some radio stations down in Bend, Mm -hmm. and he would pop in and see me and Don and sit on the couch, and he goes, (laughs) you know, I don't know if this is exactly what I want to be doing, being down in this small market down here and doing this, but I love radio. I sure would like to be here again and stuff. And... I can remember talking to him really extensively one day that he really, really wanted to get back into the Portland marketplace. And the Kink morning show became a reality to him, and I never seen the guy happier. Um, he loved his job. Yes. he Absolutely d- loved he it. He did. He was one of those guys that would, you know, his shift would start at 6 o'clock in the morning, but he would pop into the station start pre- preparing at two o'clock in the morning. Oh, and no,
1: midnight. Because when I worked overnights, <laughs> oh, he, my. I was, he would be there. It started off, I was talking to Mike Rich about this. It started off where he would come in at about 1.30 because that's when the AP wire would tick off all the entertainment news and I'd rip it for him and I'd have it for him. And by the time I was done doing overnights, he was in the studio at midnight preparing oh, for the morning my. show. And he lo- and he didn't do it because he had to. He loved he loved what he was doing.
0: He really did yes. love it. You know, over the years, there's been some, there's some amazing people come through this station, you know, both on air and behind the scenes. One of the old programmers here, Jeff Douglas, mm-hmm. uh, him and Music Millennium had a great relationship together. And the, the thing about Kink, Kink went on the radio in 1968 in December. And I think that was a little bit of the inspiration for Don McLeod to even start the store. The other thing was he wanted to carry product in the store that he wasn't able to find himself as a music fan in town because Portland really didn't have any underground record stores Mm -hmm. at that time. And here came Kink with their slogan, Kink the (laughs) Underground Link, And it really was that underground radio station at the time. I mean, it has transformed a number of times over the years. But so has Music Millennium.
1: I was going to say, you have to evolve to survive.
0: Yes. And it's kind of like the two places have been very good friends Mm -hmm. for almost 50 years now. Well,
1: it is that synergy. I mean, Music Millennium 50 years celebration coming up, Kink's 50-year celebration coming up. It's woven together. The histories are woven together, and there's a rich history of music with Music Millennium. There's a rich history of music with Kink as well. To be able to celebrate that with these podcasts uh, and bring in people who mean so much to Portland and so much to Kink is kind of a nice project to be working on.
0: No, it, it definitely is. We feel fortunate to be here after 50 years. Right,
1: right. You know, it's survival, survival in uh, two businesses that have changed so much um, and have not like many businesses, frankly, you know, have challenges that you have to overcome and figure out how to survive.
0: I mean, our city has changed a lot right. in 50 years and we've had to make changes to accommodate the city.
1: You're listening to King's Portland 50 series. I'll continue our conversation in a moment, but I wanted to thank our sponsor. The Portland 50 series is presented by Jaguar Land Rover Portland. One company, two iconic brands. Jaguar Land Rover Portland is a Don Rasmussen company, the legendary Portland institution serving our community since 1950. Now back to my conversation with Terry Courier from Music Millennium. Uh, I wanna talk about one more thing that you have, well, two more things. I wanna talk a little bit about the Oregon Music Hall of Fame, which you helped co-found. Now it's been about 14 years. But it's also a celebration of music. It's a celebration of folks who have had an impact in the music world and also a fostering of new talent coming up, which is kind of a nice thing to celebrate, really.
0: Well, around 2000, uh, there's a guy in town named Buck Munger who had a music publication called Two Louis. He had been involved with a group of people that included Dave Lichen from Double T, Concert Promotions, called the Oregon Music Coalition. They were trying to put together some kind of Oregon Music Hall of Fame situation and recognize artists of the past. And for about three years after they were done with that. Buck kept calling me almost on a weekly basis going, you really need to grab the ball here (laughs) and run with it. You need to make this happen. And at the time I said, Buck, I got too many things on my plate. I'm doing too many things in the community. I'm involved with the Coalition of Independent Music Stores. I just don't have the time. And then in 2003, I got a weak moment and I said, (laughs) yes, I'm going to do this, but it needs to have a different element added to it to make it more than just an organization that recognizes the past. It needs to be an organization that recognizes the past, but promotes music now and into the future. And we ended up putting in educational element to it. What we we just got done having our 11th annual induction ceremony. There's about a hundred and forty legacy artists in the Oregon Music Hall of Fame. In order to get to Oregon Music Hall of Fame you have to have been from Oregon and done music professionally for 20 years or moved to Oregon and then done music professionally for 20 years from that point. We actually have a very small little museum in West Lynn now, and it's inside a a building called the Youth Music Project, which is a educational facility for music for kids after schools and on weekends. We have a yearly scholarship program. Right now, we've been giving away four $2,500 scholarships year in a statewide scholarship drive to high school seniors that are going on to further their music education at a higher level. It's amazing some of these scholarship applications that come in. And it's been amazing to watch some of these kids go through college and come out on the other side. There's a kid right now, when he got his scholarship, he was the only guitar player that was admitted to the Juilliard School of Music that wow. year in the whole United States. Wow. They gave him a very large scholarship. But our scholarship was a great addition to him to help make it through school. And he just graduated this last year. He's moved back into Portland Market. Oh, and fine. he's playing out live. His name's Lake Gerudic. It's been really fascinating what we can do. We also have a music in the schools program, and we have been using Aaron Meyer, rock, classical, jazz violinist. He can do about anything <laughs> out there. And he goes into schools without music programs, usually K through eight schools, and does assemblies in there and exposes a lot of these kids to music, many of them for the first time. And he shows them what you can do with music and, you know, what the instrument can do. It's been a great program.
1: I want to end just taking a look at two highlights for you for 2017. In May, you were honored uh, with Independent Spirit Award by the Music Business Association, which I would imagine is a, a pretty big deal.
0: It was pretty surreal. You know, when your peers that you work with out there recognize you, to that degree it it is quite an honor I've never done anything for the accolades I go to work every day because of the music y- uh,
1: hang on a second y- you can say you've never done anything and I know that your career has been based on love of music and your interest you've done a lot let me just say that <laughs> as someone looking in who has seen your work Throughout the community and just in Portland, but but knowing about your work throughout the independent record store community, you've done a lot.
0: Well, thank you. Um, yeah, I, go, I I work six days a week, sometimes seven days a week, 12 hours a day. And then I'll go out and see live music <laughs> or do something that's involved in the community and the music scene. There's a fine line between my regular life and my work life. And if I was at a job or in an industry that I didn't love, I would be in a situation right now where I hated my life.
1: Absolutely. It's it's wonderful to be able to love what you do so much. I wake up in the
0: morning, I go, I'm going to work. (laughs) It's not like, oh, I got to go to work now.
1: Yeah. Well, the passion shows. We're lucky. And I say that from King's point of view, to have a rich music scene, not just the musicians, but a place where people can find recorded music. Like we talked about that synergy. It all works to better everybody within the music we community. We have
0: a really good music community here in town. There's, you know, from from the music artists itself, they all seem to be working together out there. They're trying to help each other. and try to enhance each other's career so they can make a living doing something that they really love.
1: Mm-hmm. And it shows. We're lucky. Yes. We're lucky that way. The other thing um, that happened to you this past year uh, is in August, Terry Courier Day. That was pretty cool. I mean, it is cool when your it, city recognizes It, it was that. another <laughs> surreal thing.
0: You know, I, I can remember getting a phone call from Bart Day, uh, who's an entertainment lawyer in town, who evidently was one of the people who helped spearhead this thing and was talking with the city. And I was actually on vacation in the Wallalas, and I couldn't get phone service from where I was because I was out of town. And I get this message that says, Terry, I kind of need to talk to you right (laughs) away. I know you're on vacation. I hate to bother you, but it's kind of important. And I'm thinking, oh no, Somebody I know died or is ill, and I so I drove into Enterprise so I could get cell coverage, and I got in there, and he goes, uh, I'm really sorry that I had to bother you, but is August 12th okay with you for Terry (laughs) Courier Day? And I'm going, what?
1: (laughs) Oh, that's awesome.
0: And then as it got closer to that day, because it was on a Saturday, and most city officials aren't working on the weekend they didn't know who was going to come out chloe wasn't going to be available to come out each week got closer they said we just don't know who's going to be out but somebody will be out i go well who brings the mayor his coffee that would be (laughs) fine and then it got down to the monday of the week of terry career day and i suggested in an email well why don't we get bud clark Right. And the next morning they go, you know how to get Bud Clark? I'll give him a call. So <laughs> I gave him a call. He wasn't home. I sent him an email, and I came in the next day, and he goes, oh, yeah, I'd love to come out. I, I'd be honored. That alone, having Bud Clark in your parking lot, probably the best mayor of this city ever had. Yeah, uh, There was just as many people in our parking lot that wanted to meet him exactly. than me. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Oh, that's awesome. Well, we could easily go on and on about music and about Music Millennium, but we probably wrap it up. Um, But I want to thank you so much for coming in and talking to us. And may Music Millennium and kink live on for another 50 years.
0: I will second that.
1: Thank you for joining me for part 2 of my conversation with Terry Courier from Music Millennium. If you missed part 1, you can find it at our website, kink.fm. The Portland 50 is a podcast series celebrating King's 50th anniversary, and it's about the people who dreamt, built, and championed the innovation, growth, and uniqueness of Portland. The series is presented by Jaguar Land Rover Portland. One company, two iconic brands. Jaguar Land Rover Portland is a Don Rasmussen company, the legendary Portland institution serving our community since 1950.